what some of the subjects were that we're going to talk about as a church. And I said, ooh, let me do communion. And um, I was like, I've got some great ideas. And uh, as I started getting into this, I realized that today um, we're going to spend the next three hours, I mean, uh, <laughs> 30 minutes doing a, uh, <laughs> a, uh, a brief summary of the Bible. Okay. <laughs> so... Uh, if you haven't read it, it's a good book. Uh, it's it's um, it's a love story. Uh, it's a, it's about a runaway bride and uh, and God's car chase after us. So there's action and intrigue and and uh, and all kinds of things. So, anyways, um, I also really love the theme of the first, you know. There was a thread that I saw in the first three um, talks that we had. You know, Austin talked about discipleship and how the disciples didn't just um, follow Jesus in a way that they, um, you know, liked some of what he did or what he said or something like that. But really, their whole life, uh, when they became a disciple, was um, um, like they dropped everything. They dropped their family, their jobs, their whole way of life to follow Jesus. Talked about worship, which was awesome. Um, not just being about Sunday morning singing, but so much more, being a living act of praise in our whole lives. And then Drew was servanthood, you know, not just being service projects and things that we do, but just being a, a way of life. And uh, um, that's awesome. And so I hope the topic today, you know, is kind of equally as challenging, you know, beyond uh, communion, just as an act that we do on Sunday morning. So I'm going to jump right into this, um, into the text. Uh, I didn't put anything up there because I've got um, about a dozen texts today. <laughs> thought it would be too much for the, <laughs> for the slide team here. But um, yeah, the story of communion uh, is in um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, John, which was written later, um, kind of includes more of the upper room discourse. But we're going to start with Matthew. Uh, 26, uh, verse 6. Now when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why the waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus said, Beware of this. Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to go prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. 
as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. And being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. While they were eating, Jesus took some matzah, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so after this scene in uh, an upper room, um, Jesus was betrayed. He was then tried by Pontius Pilate and put to death on a cross. The Roman soldier pierced his side and blood and water flowed out. And on the third day he rose again and he came back to be with his disciples, promising the Holy Spirit to be with them after his ascension into heaven. So, Jonah, thanks for choosing that last song because, you know, communion is the story of God with us, Emmanuel. And um, like the song said, like I said earlier, um, you know, as we go through the scriptures today, I want us to focus on all the way that God uh, in the Trinity, you know, the three in one, offers himself to us. So if we look at the setting of what was happening um, during that first communion, uh, it was repeated several times that this was during Passover. So um, let's go back to the first Passover. Uh, Now, this was interesting. Uh, The first Passover happened during the uh, plagues of Egypt, and this uh, was in response to the last of the ten plagues. So, you know, the locusts came and the frogs and the... Uh, blotted out the sun and all those things, right? And the last uh, plague that uh, God was going to inflict on the Egyptians so that Pharaoh would let uh, the Hebrews go out of slavery in Egypt was the death of the firstborn of every uh, male in the family. And that uh, accounted for uh, people and for the livestock uh, throughout all the land of Egypt. And so God, through Moses, tells every Hebrew in Egypt, to slaughter an unblemished lamb, a year old, and put the blood on the doorposts and the lintel, and to eat the flesh of the lamb. Through the sign of uh, the blood of the lamb, the Hebrews were saved. Uh, So God passed over their house and did not kill the firstborn. And from that time, um, you know, at midnight, the Hebrews left and began their journey uh, through the desert to the Promised Land, which took them, you know, 40 years. 
Once they were in the desert, they became weary due to the lack of food. And many among them said, Moses, what are we doing out here? We'd be better off back in Egypt as slaves. Because at least we had food in our pot every night. And God heard uh, their grumblings. And so he answered by sending a quail to eat in the evening and bread in the morning. And this was known as the manna. And so in the morning in the desert, the dew would fall um, on the land. And as it dried, it would become this uh, bread that uh, the Hebrews would go out and gather every morning. And God instructed them to gather just what uh, they could consume in a day, no more. Right? Uh, if they gathered any more uh, than they needed for that day, uh, what was left over uh, rotted. It was no good. Um, and eventually they got used to this. They ate this manna for 40 years until they arrived at Canaan, and they said it tasted like honey cakes. So you think about you know, the God promising the land of milk and honey. Uh, you see that. This was their, literally their, their daily bread. And along the way, they uh, came to another camp at Rephidim. It was a place where there wasn't any water um, in the desert. And so, again, the Hebrews you know, grumbled against Moses, saying, you know, Have you just brought us out to this desert to die of thirst? God sighs again. <laughs> All right. So God ordered Moses to strike a rock with his staff, and water flowed out so that the people had enough to drink. So in this story, um, um, and in um, the history of how we understand communion, you know, Jesus was and is that Passover lamb. He was the perfect uh, lamb that was offered as a sacrifice uh, to literally save us. You know, to save anyone who believes in him. And Jesus is the bread and the water of life. And he's going to talk about this himself uh, later on, but um, you know this is an important story in understanding that. So uh, later on in Exodus, um, as they're still wandering in the desert, uh, God instructs, uh, gives Moses instructions to uh, build what's called the tabernacle. Okay, and this was um, like the first temple or church or kind of you know, gathering place for them to come together and worship God. But this is what God said about uh, the tabernacle. He says, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. So God didn't say, you know, let them make a big building that they may kneel before me. Um, you know, it was a place where people offered sacrifices, but the the point of the tabernacle was for God to be with his people. And this was actually a portable um, construct, right? So there were pickets and a tent and things like that. And everything inside had poles on it. So it was made up so that, you know, as uh, the Hebrews wandered, they could pick up the tabernacle and think God would be with them wherever they went. Inside the tabernacle, God instructed uh, three things uh, to be placed there and to be built uh, for the first time. One was the Ark of the Covenant of God, uh, which housed you know, the Ten Commandments. 
Um, and this was in the what's called the Holy of Holies uh, in the tabernacle. Um, just outside of that was the incense uh, that was burned in, in worship of this. Um, and the uh, Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of the Father with his people. Then there was a golden lampstand, which was a menorah, uh, with seven tongues of fire. And when we think of tongues of fire, you know, we think of Pentecost, right? This was where the Holy Spirit, you know, came down. Um, and thus, in the, in the tabernacle, we have uh, representation of the Holy Spirit. And then the golden table. And on the golden table was uh, what we kind of translate now as called showbread. Um, but uh, it was really originally called the bread of presence. Okay? This was the bread of the presence of God. And this represents uh, Jesus. And Jesus' flesh, Jesus coming to be with us. And in worship, priests would lift up the table and say, uh, the table with the bread, and say, Behold, God's love for you. Which I thought was pretty cool because you think about John 3.16, you know. Um, you know. We're going to cover that one later, too. In 1 Corinthians, Paul refers to our bodies as new temples for the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, um, in the upper room, Jesus says that the Spirit abides in us and will be in us. Our bodies are the new tabernacles for God, the places where God communes with us. And communion is the fulfillment of the Levitical sacrifices which we're about to talk about, in our bodies, which are the temples for God. So what were those offerings in Leviticus? What, what did the Jewish people do as offerings? It's, it's pretty uh, evident that, that Jesus was an offering. We, we call him the, the Paschal Lamb, the Passover offering. Um, there were five types of uh, uh, typical offerings. And Jesus' death was a fulfillment of each type of uh, these sacrifices. So as I go through these, see if you can see communion in each one of these. So the first was uh, the burnt offering. Uh, and this was an offering of atonement, which allowed us to come into the presence of God. So atonement was kind of about a um, personal distance uh, that we had uh, from God. And, and this sacrifice you know, um, and did that. So what that looked like was a male animal from the herd or the flock without defect. And uh, the person offering uh, the sacrifice would be called the worshiper. They would lay their hand on the head of the animal, and the sacrificial lamb would be accepted to make atonement on his behalf. Uh, the lamb would be slaughtered on the altar, and the blood would be splashed on the sides of the altar, and then the whole animal burned on the altar. And there's a, a day, special day of atonement in the Jewish calendar, which is actually the Jewish New Year called Yom Kippur, where these would be offered. The second type of offering was a grain offering. And a, a grain offering was an uh, offering of gratitude for God's grace uh, on our lives. And... The grain offering was made of fine flour made into unleavened bread, uh, never with yeast or with leaven or with kind of, uh, some of us have kept a sourdough starter in the past or something like that, right? This has uh, uh, some kind of life in it. 
Um, and when they would make this, uh, this cake from the fine flour, they would pour oil and frankincense on it. And some of it would be burned up as an offering to God, uh, as a pleasing aroma, and the rest uh, would be eaten by the priests. And so in Leviticus 6, it reads, Aaron's sons are to offer it to Adonai in front of the altar. So he is to lift up from it his handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with some of its oil and all the frankincense, which is on the grain offering, and burn it up as smoke on, on the altar for a soothing aroma as its memorial portion to Adonai. Then what is left from it, Aaron and his sons are to eat. It is to be eaten as matzah in a holy place in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. It must not be baked with hametz or leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy, like the sin offering and like the trespass offering. Every male among the children of Aaron may eat it, as their portion forever throughout your generations from the offerings of Adonai made by fire. Whoever touches them will become holy. So I included a little extra when I first read uh, about uh, the First Communion because it has a story of Jesus going into Simon the leper's house in Bethany and be anointed with oil and perfume. And this um, I saw, you know, kind of a direct um, parallel, you know, with the grain offering as, as it's, uh, it's anointed. And then um, the priests, you know, eat, eat a portion of this grain offering. Uh, the third type of offering is a peace offering. And this is an optional offering. Um, what would happen here is at the close of a meal... Uh, with friends and family and uh, priests, uh, the worshiper would uh, offer an animal sacrifice. And there were three types. One uh, was a thanksgiving offering. This is a free will offering to God in response uh, for blessing on our lives. Second was a wave offering. And this was a, really the priest's portion of that offering. Um, and the priest would wave the, uh, that offering uh, before the Lord to signify it uh, as the Lord's, not as the priest's, right? And then the third was a votive offering. This is an offering in, in relation to a vow taken. And so all of these peace offerings were to be eaten within two days. Um, anything uh, left over onto the third day was to be burned. And so you think about the setting of where Jesus offered communion, right? He offered communion, you know, sitting at a table with his friends and family, and offered, you know, this offering of peace to the world. Um, the fourth is a sin offering, which is also called the purification offering. And this was offered for the forgiveness of unintentional sins and cleansing from ceremonial uncleanliness. Now, the sin offering was actually more for the purpose of cleansing the temple, than uh, kind of taking away the personal sin. That was more uh, the, the atonement sacrifice, right? Um, but for God to be present in the tabernacle, it had to be free from defilement. And so this uh, sin offering, you know, cleansed um, that place. And, and there were three types of sin offerings um, based on uh, unintentional sin of an individual, of a priest, or of the entire nation of Israel. It's kind of various... Uh, levels of uh, of, uh, of sacrifices there. So obviously Jesus fulfills this by cleansing the world of sin. And especially when you think about our bodies being the new tabernacle or the new temples, you know, 
that he's cleansing our bodies from sin so he can be present with us. So reading about this one, it says, In the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered, the sin offering is to be slaughtered before Adonai. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin should eat it. It must be eaten in a holy place, in the court of the tent of meeting. Whatever touches its flesh will be holy. When any of its blood is splattered on a garment, you are to wash it in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it is boiled is to be broken. And if it is boiled in a bronze vessel, it is to be scoured, then rinsed in water. Every male among the priests is to eat it. It is most holy. But no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tent of meeting is to make atonement in the holy place is to be eaten. It is to be burned up with fire. So again, the priests uh, partake of a portion of the sin offering, right? They eat uh, the, uh, the flesh of the animal and the rest being burnt. And then the last type of offering is a trespass offering. This is offered as a reparation towards an individual who was trespassed against. Um, and in this, an animal is sacrificed to God. And then uh, the person who committed the trespass is to give uh, what was wrongfully gained, plus 20% to the priest to give to the injured party. Um, and we know in the Lord's Prayer that God forgives us all of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so it's interesting that that you know, was one of the sacrifices here as well. Another interesting thing about um, how the parts of the uh, animals were dealt with in the sacrifices is that um, in Leviticus 17 it says, Anyone from the house of Israel or from the outsiders dwelling among them who eats any kind of blood, I will set my face against that soul. The one who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life, the spirit of the creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. For it is the blood that makes atonement because of the life of the spirit. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you may eat blood, nor may any outsider dwelling among you eat blood. But Jesus offers his blood in communion. And so this is, uh, this is a, a real interesting thing. But what God is saying here about the blood is that the spirit is in the blood. And it's this most holy spirit that really wasn't um, able to be offered to us until that sacrifice was Jesus offering his holy spirit to us in the blood, in the wine of communion. But sacrifices were offered to God long before the Torah was given to Israel, right? The first sacrifice was actually offered uh, or or took place after uh, original sin with Adam and Eve. Um, Because of the separation of God, right? God was Emmanuel. He was living and walking with Adam in the garden. Um, And then... um, after sin was separated. Adam and Eve separated themselves from God. So a sacrifice was made to clothe themselves, to cover their shame. And then uh, there was a story of Cain and Abel. So Cain worked the land, and he offered uh, the fruits of the ground as a sacrifice, kind of like a grain offering, right? And Abel watched over the herds. And he sacrificed the firstborn of the herd 
and offered the fat of the lamb to the Lord. And God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but not with Cain's. And it doesn't, the text doesn't give a whole lot of reason why, you know, and there's been kind of a lot of discussion about that. Was it because that Abel offered animal sacrifice instead of grain? Was it that Cain didn't do it the right way or that his offering wasn't costly enough or not the best? Was it just God's choice, you know, his sovereign choice to, to choose one? Um, but after God shows favor on Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's, Cain was upset, and God said to him, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, it will lift. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the doorway. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. So, in my research, you know, what I really felt was happening here is that, you know, Cain wanted... um, Cain's heart wasn't for God. You know, Cain wanted an earthly blessing or wanted favor or things like that. Maybe he wanted to be looked at as better than his brother or he was jealous of his brother or something like that. God accepted Abel's sacrifice because of Abel's heart, because Abel's heart was for God. God was not so much concerned with the type of sacrifice or the quality of Cain's offering. His main concern was with the attitude of Cain. His offering was rejected because of his impure heart, not because it was the fruit of the land rather than a blood sacrifice. He may have brought the very best that he had, but he did so with entirely the wrong attitude. And there's other cases throughout the Old Testament where... um, God, through the prophets, rejects sacrifices uh, that are offered. In Isaiah 66, it says, One who kills an ox is like one who kills a man. One who sacrifices a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. One who offers a grain offering is like one who offers swine's blood. One who burns incense is like one who blesses an idol. They have chosen their own ways so that their soul delights in their abominations. But we just got through reading how all of those initial things were the acts that the uh, Jewish people were supposed to do, you know, um, to cover sin, to be atoned towards God, um, as offerings of peace and things like that. But it's about their heart. You can do an act and not have the heart behind it, and, and, and God, God sees through that. In Malachi 1, it says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. So if I am father, where is my honor? If I am master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord our God. You priests who despise my name, but I say to you, How did we despise your name? By offering defiled bread on my altar. But you say, How did we defile you? When you say the table of Adonai is despicable. When you bring a blind one as a sacrifice, is it not wrong? Or when you bring a lame or sick one, is it not wrong? Offer them now to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Or will he acknowledge you favorably, says the Lord? So now implore God's favor. Then will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, will he accept any of it from you, says the Lord our God. The point of this is that the offerings 
are for us. They're not for God. God is the creator of the universe. He created the stars and the moon and the sun and the sky and the earth and all the living creatures upon it and us. And he doesn't desire for the blood of animals or our money or our empty works. His desire is for our hearts and he desires for us to be holy and to be in his presence. And so he gave these things, uh, these practices to us as a kind of template for us to um, offer things that were dear to us or costly to us, uh, to him, so that our hearts, you know, may be in line with his. And for him to be with us in that process. So um, I'm going to read quite a bit of John 6 here. I cut out a couple portions that I'll summarize. I was going to read the whole chapter but in, uh, in, in essence of time, um, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. If, uh, if you want to go study something this week, go, go read John 6 12 times. And uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing chapter. But uh, first, um, Jesus had been going through the lands, doing miracles, and so many people were excited to uh, be in his presence and hearing, hear his teaching um, and really, Jesus was kind of weary by this point, and he just kind of wanted to get away. And uh, he sat down, and then uh, there were 5,000 people around him. <laughs> and he had compassion on them and fed them with um, a couple pieces of bread and fish. You know, it was a miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So again, after that, uh, the people actually seeing this miracle uh, try to seize him and make him a king. And... Like, no, no, not, not going to be uh, your earthly king. And uh, in, in the night, he sneaks away uh, and walks on water through a storm uh, over to uh, the other side of the sea. Uh, the disciples kind of row their boats uh, across and see him <laughs> in the middle and say, what are you doing? You should get in our boat. I think it was probably like, I'm fine. Uh, but there was a miracle of walking on water. A lot of times that's kind of where we stop um, our study of the chapter, because those are two really amazing miracles. But we're going to pick up uh, from that point. So when they found him on the other side of the sea, the, the disciples, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Yeshua responded to them. And um, reading from a translation, uh, so Yeshua as Jesus um, in Hebrew. Yeshua responded to them, Amen, amen, I tell you. You seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate all the bread and were filled. Don't work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has put the seal of approval. And they said to him, What shall we do to perform the works of God? Yeshua answered them, This is the work of God, to trust in the one he sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you perform so that we may see and believe you? Or what work do you do? Now this is after he just fed 5,000 people and walked across water. <laughs> God says, Our father ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. Out of heaven he gave them bread to eat. Yeshua answered them, Amen, amen, I tell you. It isn't Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is the one coming down from heaven and giving life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread from now on. Yeshua said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you, I told you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone coming to me I will never reject. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Now this is the will of the one who sent me, that I not lose that I lose not one of all he has given me, but raise each one on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and trusts in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Some of the Judeans starting to, uh, started to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Yeshua, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Yeshua answered, stop grumbling amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless my Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Amen, amen, I tell you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat and not die. I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give you for the life of the world. Then the Jews began, began arguing with one another. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Yeshua said to them, Amen, amen, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who eats of me will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate and then died. He who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This is a hard teaching. Who can listen to it? But Yeshua knew his disciples were murmuring. So he said to them, does this offend you? And by the way, this would have offended them. <laughs> they, they were being told to eat, you know, eat, eat his body and drink his blood. And they were not supposed to drink any blood or eat it, partake of any blood. Then what if you see the Son of Man going back up to the place where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no benefit. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, yet some of you do not trust. Yeshua knew from the beginning 
who were the ones who did not trust, as well as which one would betray him. Then he said to them, For this reason I have told you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. From this time many of his disciples left, and they quit walking with him. So Yeshua said to the twelve, You don't want to leave also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have trusted and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Yeshua answered them, Didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the adversary. Now he was speaking of Judah, the son of Simon of Creat, for he, one of the twelve, was about to betray him. So, there's a lot in there, but... um, a couple things was that, you know, the, this uh, miracle of the bread of life was not a, a one-time miracle. This happened, you know, throughout uh, the scriptures. Um, the other interesting thing was that um, the bread was always the presence of the Lord, right? The bread was always the presence of the Lord when um, in the desert, um, throughout, you know, the next uh, several thousand years, um, and it is with Jesus. And the, um, the bread is more than, the daily bread wasn't just the food, right? It wasn't just, um, you know, our how much income we needed to live off of or things like that, right? The, the daily bread was the spirit of Jesus which gave eternal life. So eating of this bread and drinking the wine of the blood of Jesus, literally, Jesus literally becomes a part of us in the act of communion. Jesus offers his body and blood to us as a perfect sacrifice. Fulfilling all the Levitical sacrifices, he is the perfect Passover lamb. His body is the bread of eternal life, our manna, our daily bread. We are to partake of this sacrifice like the Jewish priests did, right? The Levitical sacrifices were never, they never offered sanctification in their own right, as we saw through some of the other Old Testament texts. They were outward signs of an inward faith in the grace of God. God's purpose has always been to be with us, to be Emmanuel, to tabernacle with us. And salvation from sin is only for the purpose of reuniting us with God. Our bodies are the new tabernacles, the temples where God seeks to be present with us through the Holy Spirit. And in communion, the Holy Trinity is present. The bread is the flesh of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The wine is the blood of Jesus, which contains his spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is a sign of the Father's new covenant with believers which is written on our hearts.
So in just thinking about how how we see this in our daily lives, you know, how much how much are we like the Egyptian or how, like the Hebrews as they left the Egyptians that just want status quo and would really want slavery and a you know, full pot of food more than the presence of God and God's plan for us. How much do we want God to do stuff for us? Or how much do we want him to just be with us? Does God want us to do stuff for him? Does he want our service projects and our offerings? Or does he just want us to love him? What do you really long for from your children, those of you who have kids? you know, Is it obedience? Is it just the rules of the house? Or, you know, do you really seek your children's love, a loving heart? Do you go through life just trying to do what you think a good Christian is supposed to do? Do you even care about that? Do you want to get to heaven? If so, you know, what or who will be there when you get there? In John 3, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. In Luke 22, again, we go back to the scene with the disciples in the upper room. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. In Revelation 19, you know, God gives... John, a picture of this feast to come. Let us rejoice and be glad and give, him, give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to them, Right, he said to me, me, John, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Over and over again in Scripture, the one God in three parts, Trinity, seeks us out. He makes a way for us to be in his presence despite our unholiness. And how can we possibly respond to this? I'll quote Paul in his letter to the Romans. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Amen.